Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Support for That UFO Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you listeners 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's promo code ANDYUFO. If not for you, it could be for a family member, for the man in your life, or someone you just want to get an amazing gift for. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimised trimmer that makes shaving time your favourite time in the bathroom, all the while listening to Dan and I talk about the latest UAP news. So remember folks, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy and joining me this week isn't Dan. Dan has a prior engagement. He's on Max's podcast. You'll you'll know Max. I I can't pronounce Max's surname with any level of justice, Graham. Um, But I've got Graham Rendell with me from UAP Media, colleague and friend. Graham, how are we doing? I'm doing fine, Andy. How are you tonight? I am very, very well. So I've got Graham on the pod with me for your news update for the week from about the 23rd till the 27th of August, round about that. Um, and it's Mas- Max Moskovitz. Again, I can't say names in my accent. You know who I mean. The really good-looking Dutch guy who has his podcast. Vinny, uh, who is now part of UAP Media, appears on there quite a lot as well. Um, so Dan's on with Max this evening, so we're letting him have the night off. And Graham is sitting in instead. So we're getting a lot of more intelligence and and brains and knowledge on this one, Graham, aren't we? <laughs> well, 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 let's see, shall we? Uh, well, listen, Graham, have you got any books coming out today or anything like that? Anything you want to talk oh, about? Funny enough, you should say that, Andy. Yeah, um, UFOs Before Roswell is due out imminently. Um, the, the Kindle version should maybe due late, uh, later tonight. So um, there'll be an announcement on Twitter when it's ready for people to uh, to buy it and read it. And that's the Foo Fighters book Amazing. for people who so aren't that's aware. going to be... Is it- yeah, not the band, not Dave Grohl. So your World War Two Foo Fighters, uh, UFOs before Roswell, and it's going to be on Amazon Kindle, and that'll be available this evening. Yep, the po- we're recording this, and it's quarter to eight UK time just now. So by the time I put this together and get it out, it'll be about ten o'clock UK, which is five o'clock Eastern, two PM Pacific, and then wherever you are in the world, it's it's the time it is. So so yeah, that'll be exciting. Graham, you're looking forward to getting the book finally released. Yeah, it's a weight off my mind once it gets out there, believe me. 
Uh, Graham will be joining me to talk through the book and uh, some of his favourite parts as a guest on the podcast as well pretty soon. We're just letting him get all the little bits and pieces he has to out the way to get the book properly launched as well. As So make sure you check that out. UFOs before Roswell will be available on Amazon Kindle later on. Um, so support Graham, check out the book. He, he really does know his stuff, as you have heard Graham on here before. Uh, Graham will also be joining me at a small um, hall in... Uh, Gill Lane in Preston for the Minicon 2021 as part of ufoidentify.co.uk their uh, conference that's going on in a couple of weeks that's on Saturday the 9th of October loads of you've got in touch already to tell us you're getting your tickets and you're going to come along Um, Phil Kinsella, Dave Hodrian, Glenn Richardson and Tony Topping are all some of the guests that will be doing various different talks and presentations whether you like them some all you've got an interest you'll be hearing about abductions, UFOs, grazing consciousness psyops remote viewing and more and you know what it's it's cheap tickets it's 10 pound for an early bird ticket or a ticket's 15 pounds if you buy it after the 5th of september uh, come along you get to meet myself meet graham not i mean i'm saying that like it's a competition or a prize and that's like a really great thing to get to meet us but it'll nice just be to talk to people face to face it's been it's been a weird 18 months as everyone keeps saying and this will be the first time we kind of get to get out there after the podcast being released and, and get to meet some people and, and hear people talk about UFOs face to face. Because again, right now, this is all in my head. This whole show, the audience and everything is just me talking into this microphone and uh, Graham on the other side of it as well. So Graham, you're looking forward to getting along to Preston? I am. It'll be great to actually meet up with people for a change rather than just seeing them over a video link. It'll be it'll be odd, but it'll be very pleasant, I should think. Yeah, really looking forward to it. So again, thanks everyone who's got in touch. And if you've went on and got your tickets already, if not, uh, go on to ufoidentify.co.uk forward slash minicon and you can get your tickets nice and early as well. And it'll be good to get to see some people face to face if you are there couple of quick guest updates as well. Uh, Warren Aegeus, uh, he is author of Evidence of Extraterrestrials, will be my next guest on the podcast. I'm speaking to him tomorrow. That one should be out over the weekend, if not Monday at the latest. You'll probably find it's up on Patreon or Apple Early Access. That will be out on that early access as well, um, a couple of days early. And of course, ad-free if you're part of Patreon or Apple Premium Subscription Services. I've then got uh, a few other guests already confirmed. Deborah Katz, who is a remote viewer, and clairvoyant, part of the IRVA. She's coming on next week now. We had to move that back a few days. Laurie Rayfelt, who was stationed at Bentwaters in Woodbridge in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, famous, of course, for the Rendlesham Forest incident, is talking high strangeness. I'm going to have Nick Cook, who is on from the UK. Nick's a very popular offer here. Chris Leto, Robert Salas, and others just waiting on confirming dates and times as well as a few other big names who I'm just getting waiting in confirmation on before I announce. Anjali, who has uh, made some headlines on, on the social media recently after her press conference, has also agreed very kindly to come on and discuss that and more. Uh, people have been getting in touch still and asking me what I think about it and everything. And do you know what? Right now, I'd like to speak to her first. Uh, person to person do the interview and then kind of see where we go from there some pretty bold and and you know i don't want to say crazy but wild claims being made and right now they are just that but in a very interesting background very interesting approach and i am intrigued to talk uh, one-on-one just to find out and dig a little bit deeper on that as well so thanks to her for agreeing to come on and i'll be announcing the date for that in due course as well lots coming up on top of that the usual news and discussion podcasts and the popular listener call-in should be scheduled in for i'm hoping next weekend that'll be the first weekend in september so email ufo uap am at gmail.com to book a slot for that and just put listener call in if you can something like that in the subject so i can find out um or keep an eye on social media for those slots opening up I'll, I'll announce those in due course if you're on the premium service either apple premium or patreon you'll get early access to dates and times as well but i do like to hear new voices so please do get in touch a few of you have done that already and i've kept those aside for the next call-in few graham let's crack on with uh, our first piece on the news pod we've got a few things to talk about uh, we're going to be delving into obviously skyhub closing down we're going to discuss uh, frank kendall 
who is the Secretary of the US Air Force's comments, and we're also going to discuss the OSD briefing card uh, Q&A particularly as well. But the first things first, we had the Making Contact conference that was organised by Mark Sims and had a host of speakers, including Lou Elizondo, Danny Sheehan, Richard Dolan, and others appearing as well. Obviously, it's good to get past the talk of pricing and should or should these things be as expensive as they are when they're virtual and everything else and just get into the actual conference. A lot happened. I've not managed to catch up with it all yet. Joe Murger's done a great job transcribing. Um, so I recommend people check out his video blogs and blogs and transcripts and everything themselves. But uh, we want to talk, Graham, about some comments Lou Elizondo made uh, as part of his. What was your overall thoughts on what you've heard or seen from the conference yourself? Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I haven't actually sort of listened to all of it yet. And I, I've only you know, really concentrated on Luella Zondo's uh, sort of pieces, because they, they seem to me to be the most interesting and, uh, you know, most newsworthy uh, sort of uh, parts of the, the actual conference. That's just a personal sort of uh, viewpoint. And th- there was there was a few things to pick up on. Uh, he, he goes into, um, you know, what where much of the, the UAP interest started. And he talks about the late 1940s, obviously, with, with Roswell. And then he, he basically he says it started a lot of the conversation, uh, but it was a it was more of a difficult time because it was you know it was just after World War Two and, and things were changing in the world. It, it was like an atomic age uh, that unlocked the secrets of the atom. That had uh, you know it was a revolution for mankind, you know, for good or for bad. Um, there was a space race going on, so there were there was challenges in that way. Um, you know, things were constantly evolving sociologically because there, there was all these kind of growth periods and um, you know generations where it just seemed to be sort of going really quickly rather than in the past where um, sort of sociological changes would take sort of sometimes decades or centuries to to, to, to be enacted. Things were changing every five minutes almost. So you had um, yeah you had like women's rights certainly being a thing, black rights being a thing. Um, there was changes in music tastes, fashion tastes. Um, you know there was different types of war, so lower level wars like uh, Vietnam. Uh, there was the threat of uh, nuclear war. There was a whole load of things that people had to contend with. So upheavals in society to to a to a degree. There was a lot going. On, but then in the same token, you're going to be in the air force, and you've got a, a gen, you know generals hearing these things are, are around, but they're not ours. Um, the Russians already went through that. Uh, he said because they the Americans were flying things over Russia in the 1960s, but they, they didn't know what they were. Uh, they thought they were Americans, but they couldn't do anything about them. And now the, that kind of role has been reversed. The Americans are now dealing with things they don't understand. Oh, haven't got a clue how to defeat, but they're flying around all their their you know their sensitive areas. Um, do, you know, and Lou says, do they have the tech? Graham, capability? Graham let me Sorry, ask. No, yeah, I, ju- I just want to come in on that. So that I I thought that was an interesting comment, and it's one that people no doubt might have had their backs up a little bit on. You know, generals and and those in the military not understanding that this really advanced technology flying around isn't Russian. Not yeah. it's not an adversarial technology. Let's just say that. And it's not it's not US technology. So they sort of box that off as we don't care because it shouldn't really be an issue. It, it should be ours or it shouldn't be theirs. So they just don't deal with it. Do you understand, though, as someone who does look into these things sometimes as well from an aviation point of view or, you know, that kind of you can see the military point of view? Do you see why they do look at it that way? I think I think there's two strands to that. I think they are desperate to know what they are if they don't know already, because the last thing they want to do is admit an intelligence failure, because that's a potential weakness from an adversary. If they know that there's a problem with you know the kind of uh, collecting uh, an information on something that's flying around, then that is a potential weakness. That if it gets out that knowledge, then another country can think, oh yeah, well there's an avenue for us to start sort of spying on them. So at the very least, so you've got that that you know that's one strand. But the intelligence, um, you know, the, have, the military and intelligence world have always been very loath to admit failure in a lot of things it's just a mindset they have so mm-hmm. they're not going to come round to people and say yeah we don't know what these are you know they'll, 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 in the de- in the background they're desperately trying to work out what it is but on the on the kind of public face it's oh there's nothing to see here that's the easier way to do it rather than admit there's a failure they'll just say it's not much of a problem or there's no problem or it's just something else rather than actually say you know we don't know what they are we don't know 
what to do with them and we can't combat them we can't stop them doing what they're doing yeah that's it's an interesting one when you talk about those intelligence failures because we've heard a few times comments from from chris mellon and and others in various different channels that this subject could be a huge intelligence failure on the levels of if not greater than you know something like 9 11 which is a very emotive subject a very emotive experience and time for people um but it, it could potentially be absolutely huge um lou mentioned obviously the talk was split into yesterday today and tomorrow yeah. and the it talks about today as in, you know, that relatively where we're at right now. And again, he mentioned that the last three years, there was the release of the videos and the DOD authentication of them. There's been briefings in Congress with a lot of compelling data coming out, which I know people will be shouting, give us the data. We're not going to get that data, folks, unless it leaks, you know, and it's one of those kind of hold tight for that happening, hopefully, because um, we've still never saw anything of the, the classified section of that UEP task force report yet. And I, I say yet with my fingers crossed. Um, we've got elected officials championing the cause, presidents admitting to being briefed about UFOs. That's something we've kind of heard in the past, but it's always nice to hear that and, and reaffirmed. And even, Graham, something I always, I always enjoyed, and it seems to have calmed down a lot since then because so much again is happening and right now Afghanistan's dominating the news um, quite rightly so on a, from a global point of view that uh, we were having press briefings in the White House where journalists were finally asking about UFOs and UAPs some of them caveating their questions with I can't believe I'm asking about this but and it's just I think a natural thing that we got to the top of that news cycle and the peak of that news cycle and the report was about to come out and it came out and it kind of died off a little bit and I think that right now we have no chance given what's going on with COVID and Afghanistan particularly in any international news cycle to hear much if at all about UFOs or UAPs but I think the next time we do have a chance to see that come back into the thinking of reporters will be like Lou mentions when that 90 day report comes out and that update uh, to to you know the Senate and Congress and those who'll be involved in that do you think we're going to hear much more when we do get that update I think I think that update is going to be classified personally. Um, I, I haven't seen anything that says mm. there's going to be a public element to it, but we never know. They may bring something out just to forestall any kind of media or public inquiries into what is in this intermediate 90-day report. In terms of the news cycle, you know, there's so many competing things. You talk about Afghanistan, but you've still got COVID, and there are, you know, cl climate change. Uh, there's there's still, you know, inequality kind of issues around the world. There's a whole load of things which are competing for news, uh, you know, spots on news programs and the top spot, etc. So it's a very, very crowded kind of marketplace to shoehorn information about UAPs into. So I think, you know, the information that we got up to the end of, um, you know, end of June was amazing. How how much which it actually permeated the, the 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 average news cycle. It was it was like I, I can't I can't even remember a time like that in my life when that was that was the case. But you're right. After the preliminary report, it all just died away. But then again, we haven't had any sort of drip feed of of real kind of. Um, information we can get our teeth into like we did on the run-up to that we've had some things little bits and pieces but they've not been on the scale of when we had you know, on the run-up to that report so unless that kicks off again and pe and people keep saying jeremy corbell you know has information still locked away which he you know for whatever reason he can't get out there well that might be the case but maybe this is the time when he should start releasing some of it if he can but there might be reasons why he can't of course but uh, you would like to think that some other people out there might be able to some bits and pieces which just move us along a bit more as well and get us talking about it and get the news talking about it rather than what it seems at least just using twitter as a small kind of um a snapshot of what's happening everybody just seems to be at each throats at the moment rather than concentrating on what we're all campaigning towards if you like yeah, there's there's been a bit of a vacuum or, or void of of major mm. news or leaks of videos, and and it, it has caused that. You're right that there's people just grasping for straws or trying to create news themselves, and it's one of those you just have to sit back and kind of let them let them go on with it, and it's just kind of filtering through the static to get to the good stuff because there are there are bits of news out there, and some of those we're we're going to touch on within this news report itself. Um, Lou then mentioned that really more importantly, and by the way, if you haven't looked at this yourself or followed Joe Margio's updates, then you can even go to Reddit and there is a huge 
uh, thread on just lose notes from the comments and that's what we're using as well for notes for this so i recommend people at least go and check that out as well i'll, I'll put the link in the description for this show reminding myself to do that mentally and hope, hopefully i do if i don't just nudge me on some kind of platform and tell me andy you've not put that link in and i'll, I'll get it sorted um but he mentioned tomorrow is the most important thing as we look at this and and talks about how we have evolved more in 200 years than since the beginning of mankind and and that's that's an incredible way to look at it but as we have discussed on the podcast many times with different guests um if if you thought of an iphone 100 or 200 years ago it would be pure magic whereas now it's just science and technology it's just advancement in technology and at one point what is magic now becomes reality and a practical application you know it just it blows your mind what we have and some of the technology we're going to have in 50 years time will no doubt be mind-blowing and mind expanding again and that's what Lou is trying to get the point across there you know how much more another species if 400 years ahead of us or a million or 10 million or a billion if there's been that much time for something to advance what would it look like you know would it be technological spiritual would it be conscious based and he said we can all agree that if there is something out there ahead of us even by 100 years we might not even recognize it uh, and i really like that he he says we talk to cats and dogs and invest emotions with them there's an emotional relationship but as a human we don't know but we assign anthrop- anthropomorphic characteristics anyway we assign qualities to these things that might not come from here at all and he's talking about you know aliens or et or uaps whatever they may be and and again i've mentioned this before that everyone boxes it off but why would they be a threat or why do they do this and it's like that the why might not even be something we can answer graham that that's just the case isn't it yeah, that's right. I mean, everybody does assume a human characteristics to to animals. Uh, you know, yes, people talk to their dogs and their cats as though they're part. You know, that they're, they're a brother or a sister. Um, and the same goes with when we assign um, sort of motive uh, and agenda to you know to eat possible ET. And it, it's 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 weird because you know. You see on on science fiction, uh, Star Trek used to have a, a kind of common trope where they would occasionally come across life forms which had basically evolved beyond a corporeal form, so that they'd taken just like pure energy, if you like, and, and that could be something where you know where like um, a, a species evolves to. So we might not, as I say, it might not even recognise it because it might not be, it might be invisible. It, it, it could be just a, it could be just a force. It could be energy. It could be you know anything like that which you can't actually touch or you can't see. Um, so. And how do you then assign a, a kind of human kind of label on that? It's something that we can't even under- comprehend, never mind understand. So, so you know, for us trying to put a label on it just seems a bit daft, really. Um, but that's the way we operate. We, we, you know, humanity's done that since time immemorial. We've always put our own stamp on on other on on animals, on other societies. Um, so why don't we? Do, what, you know, Doing it to, to aliens is no different than what we've done to other people and other, other animals on, on this planet. So I'm not surprised in the least. It's how we're programmed. But I, I think we're going to come across something at some stage which we're going to not have a clue about. And, you, of course, in other science fiction, you see that as well, where the, the, just you know, humans come across um, other races or other species or other life forms which don't even look like you know what we might think that they're completely different and that's the best science fiction because it makes you think it's not just thinking it's some bug-eyed monster or it's a nordic um you know or it's a gray it's it's likely just as much likely to be something completely different and completely outside our capability to understand Absolutely. Um, again, it's always good to hear Lou talk, and especially in these settings, he can just, he always adds a little something. And I know there are people who always want to hear Lou come out and say exactly what he knows and, and everything else, but you, you've got to bide your time. And again, personally, I think he does a, a really good job, and he's always always worth hearing in any sort of setting. So, And remember, Lou even caveated this appearance by saying he, he took no money for appearing, um, and you can go and listen to 100 Lou Elizondo interviews now on various different platforms and get a really good background. So um, Lou still has a lot of work and a lot of input to to bring to this subject. And I think this is probably a good summary of where he thinks we are at currently and things will be moving forward still. As he said, the train has left the station and it's not going back now. Uh, 
So yeah, let's move on to um, some sad news, to be honest, because uh, Skyhub is is closing down its US operations. I'm going to read out a statement from Chris Cogswell uh, on that. He said, unfortunately, Skyhub will be shutting down as a managed project in the next few weeks. Initially, the goal was to create a project which can live on past the existence of the internal working group, and we believe we have achieved that. However, we do not feel it is fair to prolong this decision any further, especially given each of you uh, our strong support or each of your strong support in the team. This comes about due to many different issues, including COVID, changes in personal uh, personnel on the project, and changes to the time available for each of the core team members. We simply don't believe we can continue uh, as we have in good faith. So um, it, it does go on to talk a little bit more and basically say that the, the Discord chat for people who have uh, utilised Skyhubs will still be open, that the software is going to remain open source and open platform so anyone can pick it up and anyone can still make tweaks and, and make it better and use it going forward and that there um, is still going to be some form of European team uh, that Richard will be kind of keeping going forward with that as well. So we're still waiting on some more information coming out on top of that. Um, it was good of Chris to kind of give everyone that statement. Uh, Steve McDaniel, who I interviewed way back uh, for the podcast in its earlier days, was one of those members. He resigned back in March, largely due to the, the, the issues mentioned there that, you know, his own personal circumstances changed, jobs changed, people went back to work after COVID started kind of waning and obviously we know we're kind of going back up and down depending where you live in the world, you know, be safe everyone. But people's time just got a little bit less, so he had to leave as well. But he is working on a, a smaller scale project that he hopes uh, will be more accessible to people as well. And we await kind of further information about that. But Graham, um, sad to see Skyhub kind of go the way it did because it's a really good idea, but it is something that I think still has has a place in, in one guise or another. What are your thoughts? No, I agree. Yeah, it, it's an amazing concept for people to have thought about you know, putting that into practice. Um, so people could just you know download the software, get the bits and pieces, build their own monitoring system, if you like, to, to look you know to look for UAP uh, and record information. It, it's a, it's a wonderful concept. I think. Um, you know, I suppose you could maybe argue that there was a bit of overreach here, that they were expecting maybe too much from people who didn't have a lot of money. And it was only open to people who, you know, had like, say, $600 minimum to spend, what, £450 or so to spend for the, the basic level kit. Um, I know the, I know they were talking about, well, you could just pick it up, you know, bit by bit. But to me, that that part of the concept sounded a bit like you know those part work magazines where you, you can build like a model sailing ship um and you, you get the first installments at like two pound ninety nine. i was going to just say yeah. that yeah yeah so then you get you get a couple of parts and then the next like three or four issues are the same price 299 and you you can get you build like probably the keel of the of, of the sailing ship but then you have to realize there's another 156 parts that you've got to then pay about seven pounds each for, and you get one bit of the ship for each one. So it, to me, it, it all seemed a bit like that, that you were going to spend a hell of a lot of money, but until you'd spent it all, you weren't going to see anything that you could, you could actually use in any meaningful way. And for people like me who don't have a huge amount of money to, to rub together, it was just beyond me. Even the basic level I'm afraid was you know I, I couldn't justify spending that amount of money in one go to build something, nor could I really um, sort of in, um, you know, afford the investment week after week to pay for it either, or just you know month after month. And I think if you were doing it in installments, it was going to take an incredibly long time. Most of the time, it would probably just sit on a shelf somewhere and gather dust, and then your motivation might go, or something else might be released in the meantime, which was better, cheaper, faster. To, to put up so like i say I, I think the original concept was great but obviously the things he described there in the statement you know about the fact that it was it was time conscious it was labor conscious uh, um but and they were using it all up when covid was on and people weren't doing anything but then when people go back to their normal lives that free time um you know goes and therefore they can't spend as much time as they want to on it and it just falls by the wayside so it's a shame the only good thing about it is that it seems to be picked up by somewhere in europe and they're carrying on the brand if you like and there'll, there'll be some information that's available 
for people who have invested in it to run with it and maybe tweak it as well. So hopefully it'll come out in some other form in the future. But I think if anybody's going to do this in future, it needs to be a little bit more affordable and it needs to be something that if you're going to get in parts, you need to be able to do it quicker and cheaper because otherwise it's going to be still beyond people and beyond their motivation and beyond what they can grasp in one go. Yeah, Avi Loeb mentioned as part of the Galileo project at Skyhub, and I think that would be a as as a as an organisation that now has some funding and also that are going out for public funding, a good way to invest small chunks and get people on board, especially people who may already have have sky hubs is there a way galileo could utilize those existing sky hubs that seems to be a good foundation for a software and a platform already out there that again they could maybe use as part of project galileo and say to people you know again maybe more science or or, you know people with that kind of money to invest and depending on locations you know they would even help fund putting one of these together if there were certain locations that they really felt would benefit from having the sky hub rather than you know is it a benefit for again talking about the galileo project of me andy having a sky hub on my house for them probably not it would just be pure luck or random but are there certain locations that maybe they do want to focus on and it's a case of they would reach out to organizations or people within that vicinity and offer to fund or part fund a sky hub um, and you know it, it would just be a case of you would be like a, looking after it for them because the location's somewhere they they like who knows but that's that's um just a little bit of news on skyhub but we will keep you up to date uh, as more comes out with that in the future as well and um, but they've they've done some good work and i think they've laid a foundation there for the future moving on the next one was frank kendall who is a secretary of the u.s air force made some comments that were particularly interesting online quite a few people picked up on these i've got the statement here to read first i've given a great deal of thought to defending american airspace but not against ufos if asked to do that then we will do it this is a thing that's been around for a great many years I know a lot of people who take it very seriously, and I think we should take the phenomenon seriously and try to investigate it. I don't consider it an imminent threat to the United States or the human race, these phenomena occurring. But they obviously tweak a lot of people's curiosity and encourage speculation. So if we're asked to take on, or take that on, we will. I would have to see evidence that it was something worthy of the attention of the Air Force as a threat. Our job is to protect against threats. I have a lot of known threats out there that we're working very hard to protect the US against. I'd like to focus on those. So that's Frank Kendall, Secretary of the US Air Force. I I get from his point of view that he's looking at, again, we always use the same generalizations, don't we? But Russia and China have drones infiltrating US airspace and no doubt the US have the same in those countries as well and potentially other foreign adversarial technology and they want to focus on what they can deal with, not the rumors or murmurings or you know videos that are these objects that they can't really do anything about but these objects don't really do anything to them it seems either so that more it's more of an observational experience or entity than than a threat so what are your thoughts on on someone like frank kendall coming out with those comments graham it's a bit contradictory, isn't it? You see, if you look at the statement as a whole, the first bit sounds great. It, it almost like, yes, we're going to we'll start investigating UFOs and we're going to take it really seriously. Then you get about halfway down and then he starts backtracking a bit. So it's, oh, but we'll have to see evidence that there's actually something here. Otherwise, we're not going to, you know, if, if it's not a threat, then we're not really going to look at it uh, because actually that's our job. We look at, you know, we look for threats um, and I'm going to focus on them. So, in one hand, he's saying, yes, um, UFOs, um, you know, if we're, if we're asked to have a look at them, then we'll obviously investigate because we should take it seriously because a lot of the American public take it seriously. And then on the other hand, he's saying, yeah, we've got all these other things we really need to concentrate on that actually they're more important and I'm, I'm, I want to, you know, want to sort of stick to them. So, yeah, anybody can really take anything they like from that statement. So people who are interested in the government or the Air Force investigating UFOs will take the bits that say, oh, the, the, the new Secretary of the U.S. Air Force has said, yes, you know, we'll investigate them. 
if the, pe- the, the people who are saying, look, there's nothing to UAP, or they're just drones, etc., or the Chinese are Russian, will say, yeah, but really, he wants to focus on the things that he knows about rather than UAP UFOs. So there's a bit for everybody there. But actually, at the end of the day, there doesn't really seem to be anything new. Um, I don't know what you think, but I can't see anything that definitely says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. There's a lot of words, but he contradicts himself. So... Who knows? I yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. I I do like the fact we've got someone representing the Air Force who's giving giving a statement that isn't just a dismissal of the subject or the potential of the subject and it leaves the door open, I think, for the US Air Force to get more involved. I know it's very much been the Navy that's taken the lead on that subject. Um, and the Air Force, for, for many different reasons and conspiracy theories and everything in between, has always seemed to keep it at arm's length. However, maybe it's a, an invite or a, an open door to let's focus on what we have to focus on. But, you know, maybe we should investigate it. And if that means that a permanent UAP task force is put in place that is going to investigate this on a full time, permanent basis, then maybe they get more cooperation from the Air Force down the line. And that would be a good takeaway because what people have expected is everything to change overnight. And I'll go back to some of Lou's comments in the Making Contact conference. He talks about that, that things are changing, but people have to be patient because there are processes and people that are dealing with these changes within government. Because, and if I just use a very, very small example, just even think of outside the government, those journalists who have never had an interest in this subject, who don't talk about UFOs in any serious way, having to turn up at a White House press briefing and ask seriously, essentially about UFOs, and they couldn't believe they were doing it. That's probably going on at all kinds of levels now within the halls of government in various different countries. But, you know, we're talking about the US mainly here, where they're looking going, do you know what? we do have to talk about ufos and i imagine you get the flying saucers and aliens and little green men and and you'll have you'll get more and more people like your senators and congressmen and congresswomen coming out and going well do you know what actually i was in a briefing and such and such actually i spoke to to this gent or this you know this lady or i spoke to whoever and they seem to think there's something to it. And it's just little bits at a time, I think, that are going to get more and more involved at all kinds of levels. And I think that's what Lou Elizondo was getting at, that things will change, but it's going to take time. And that's where we just sort of have to keep keep banging the drum as much as we can. And it's just making sure that people don't get too high or too low when we're waiting on different announcements. And I think, Graham, it was really important you mentioned that the upcoming um, update report there's nothing to say that's going to be released to the public as far as I've seen, and it very much is likely to be classified, but we could only hope that we get some sort of, of statement or update from the back of that. Yeah, that's true. Um, obviously, the, the, they're talking about having um, extra information in the report, the things that haven't been included in the last 90 days, so they might even go further back once it gets going, once it gets ro- these rolling 90-day reports. I mean, you were saying before about maybe breaking through that kind of stigma, that obstacle about getting people talking in the media about, yes, it's actually is all right to start asking questions of politicians about UAP. But also you've got to think inside the Air Force itself, They've sounds like they've had this culture over the last seventy five odd years of just denying there's a problem, and the you know the front facing the public facing side of the air force have just said, look, there's nothing to see here. Move on. They even set a blue book basically just to as a sop for the public for them to send reports in and say, look, yeah, this it's just Venus or swamp gas, you know, all that those kind of things. So you've got that obstacle to get across as well. And yes, okay, it's all right for the secretary of the the the, the U.S. Air Force, the new one, to say. You know, we'd like to investigate it, but I bet in his organization, the US Air Force, there are a lot of people who would be very resistant to anything like this happening because there'll be a culture that's built up over the years. It's not just stigma, it's just a culture of saying there's nothing to see here, move on. And that's the the, the big battle that will probably be happening in the next few years inside the US Air Force before any meaningful dialogue with outside agencies, the UAP task force being one or whatever it turns into. Uh, and I'm sure that'll be something that that you know rumbles on over the next months and possibly years. 
And I wonder if some of it is going to be the US Air Force having to kind of swallow its pride a little bit, even from an internal point of view, where it's always been the Air Force and the Navy. You, you kind of see that as a kind of back and forward between those two kind of giants within the US military. But now you have the Space Force, who right now seems to be the the stepchild of the, the US military, the you know, that isn't as popular, the second cousin. But we all keep hearing how space is that next frontier that wars are unfortunately are going to be fought over and there's already a race a space race again for getting satellites up there in different space stations and bases on the moon and not even talking about ufos and ets but that's probably something the air force is going to be looking at do you know what we now have an even smaller area that we're in charge of where it used to be everything they were seen as you know the be all and end all and i know some navy folk out there might disagree with that but the air force always seemed to be the kind of the, the one in charge whereas now you're going to have and especially if let's go back to uaps if these things are in the water and then they come out the water and they're in the air and then they they go from the air up to space then it's sort of going to be all their problem and they're at some point they're all going to have to come together and talk about that and deal with it yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's, they've got a diminishing cake, um, you know, a diminishing amount of responsibility in the Air Force. And that'll be another threat that they'll be seeing as a perceived slight towards them. And especially if, you know, the UAPs are hooked onto this kind of thing and we're saying, well, they're going to investigate it now. Um, um, you know, we're going to take it away from you because presumably that's what they are still doing. Um, so yeah, there'll be a bit of rancor to do with that. The, the other like agency, which you don't really hear much about in terms of, you know, you mentioned about the US Navy. Navy, the uh, Space Force and Air Force. There's also the U.S. Army because they have an aviation element as well. They you know, they operate helicopters. They do have some fixed wing aircraft, and nobody really knows what they see in terms of UAP either. They don't seem to get a look in. So I wonder if anybody it's worth actually trying to investigate. You know what they see and what they report. Absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's one to keep an eye on, and hopefully the Air Force can uh, get a little bit more involved because they must have some fascinating stuff classified oh, in, yeah. in the vaults back there. And uh, speaking of vaults, our our friend John Greenwald over at the Black Vault has managed to unearth a little a little gem from the UAP report to Congress um, su- executive summary back in from May seventeenth, twenty twenty one. So in the build up to the report being released in June, there was an OSD, which is the Office of the Secretary of Defence Public Affairs um, briefing card sent out, and it talks about. Uh, UFO or UAP interest remains high with the public and some talking points and top line messages that were given out to to basically keep on line with the discussion and here are some of the points you should hit if you're being asked about it from that point of view. Uh, top line messages and talking points were we are aware of the report requirement and the UAP task force team is actively working with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on the report and uh, from there, you will see a bit of a theme where not a whole lot more gets answered, uh, Graham, does it? It's, uh, we no. take reports of incursions into our airspace by any aircraft identified or unidentified very seriously. Um, safety and security are of paramount concern. And there's a little Q&A section, which is typically um, vague. Uh, so, But it's still a nice one to read. So, question, has the department found any evidence of extraterrestrial technology? Answer? The examinations into incursions by UAPs are still ongoing. The department does not comment on intelligence matters. If you want to be very generous, you can look at that and go, wow, they've not said no. They were never going to say yes or no anyway, because potentially the people looking into this, for example, the Tic Tacs, maybe they don't know who or what is inside of them, if anyone. So when you say extraterrestrial, they might not be but it doesn't mean they're human, as as we're probably looking at as the case. So um, again, from there, question, do you have any comment on the remarks made by John Ratcliffe to Fox News about the forthcoming report? Uh, the answer is, as he was the former DNI and ODNI has the lead on the UAP report, I refer you to the office of the direct and such and such. Yeah, so um, it was it's just a nice little find to see that stuff was given out. And I just love reading through this stuff to see official government documentation in any form reference UAPs, extraterrestrial, just having that word on there. And I think people should remember in the build-up to the report coming out, I always thought, you know, I doubt we're going to see the word extraterrestrial, but it's just nice to see it within this kind of additional information as well. And to see that it was something they were aware was going to come up in the talking points as well. Uh, Graham, 
just to round off, what are you sort of expecting in the coming in the coming weeks with these updates to come out? And let's even give it a generous time frame as we're kind of getting into the last quarter of the year. Are we going to get any more videos or big news drops before Christmas? Do you think? Oh well, if you know, if I could tell you that, I'd be just picking lottery numbers instead. I'm afraid um, it, it's it's one of those insurmountable kind of questions. You just don't know what's going to come out there. We were surprised back in December 2017; those came out of the blue. So for anybody to really try and predict what's going to come out over the next, say, you know, two or three months, whatever, um, you know, it's sort of, you're hiding to nothing. Would like to think there would be, but. Whether anything comes out of the the next you know sort of the, the next report, the ninety day report, is anybody's guess. It, they've said it's a it's a classified um, a report that's going to go through, but whether anything leaks out or whether there's anything that actually does appear, um, you know, bolted onto that, which you know they can release, who knows. But again, it comes down to what Jeremy Corbell and, and other people have, you know, hidden away. What they're working on, what they're talking to people about, whether they can get permission to release it for, you know, for whatever reason. So, really, I, I'm afraid I just can't answer that question, Andy. We just simply don't know. I haven't even really heard of anything, you know, whispers of, of anything either. So, um, at the moment, it sounds like nothing. But, you know, that could change overnight. We could literally have uh, Jeremy Corbell coming out with his high noon sort of announcement tomorrow, you know. So so who knows? I mean, just going back to this um, briefing card, uh, there was, to me it was interesting because they – you, you, you can tell they keep tabs on the media because they mention at the start in the executive summary about you know the various spots that people like John Ratcliffe have had and the 60 Minutes segment. Um, so yeah. you know that they're, they're keeping tabs on everything that's going out there. They would you know they would be derelict in their duty if they weren't. But also the the fact that you mentioned before that there was a question about extraterrestrial technology and they actually don't answer the question. <laughs> they, they, they mention other things, but they don't answer the question at all. But the, the thing that made me laugh was there was just obviously the redacted bits about who it was re- prepared by and i could have almost for the fact it says navy i could have also said, saw susan goth's name written there as well so uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if she had a hand in that no definitely not and do you know what just again to finish off i am actually quietly optimistic and I've, I've people listening to this for a long time probably know i i try to remain optimistic that given it is so quiet this for me is a time where hopefully the people that are on our side on this are in the background working on something that we're going to get. I I think we're more likely now to get a really good new video without a Jeremy Corbell hyping up announcements coming in the background that we might get something a little bit better than, than we're kinda, we've had for the last little while. So fingers crossed folks but that is pretty much it for your news roundup for this week. I'd like to thank you Graham for joining me. Thanks, Andy, for the invite. And Graham, just once again, what was the name of the book and how can people get a hold of it virtually or on ebook form by uh, this evening? Okay, so it should be out later tonight on Amazon as an ebook. It's called UFOs Before Roswell: Foo Fighters in Euro- uh, European, sorry, European Foo Fighters, nineteen forty to nineteen forty-four. So that's the full title. Uh, but if you just search for my name, Graham Rendell, on uh, Amazon, you should be able to find it. And I say it should be available very shortly. It's just going through the review process on on Amazon at the moment. Awesome, that's great, and that's good to hear. And Graham really does his work and put the effort into these as well. So I look forward to reading that myself. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Meditative game of state full on magic.
and help could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game. You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future? So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.